Oliver, thank you for joining with me today. And I'm really thrilled to have this opportunity to learn more about your time as a student over the last year, particularly through the lockdown period. And I wanted to get started if you could share a little context in terms of where are you at, what stage of education, and what are the subjects that you're studying? Yeah, of course. So I'm, I'm in year 12 at the moment. I've just gone into sixth form. And I moved to sixth form because the school that I was at for secondary education uh, wasn't running music A-level. And obviously I want to go in and pursue music and uh, continue with that. So I had to find somewhere else that was going to do music along with the other subjects that I wanted to do. Um, I'm currently doing music, drama and religion, philosophy and ethics A-level. What a wonderful combination. But I know that it wasn't that easy to get to where you are now. No, not at all. There was a... Obviously, with um, with everything that happened with GCSEs this year, um, or for my year at least, um, where um, we were given predicted grades, teacher assessed grades, things like that. Uh, sadly, because of it, I I'd applied to to all these schools. Uh, I was at Billericay, uh, and then I was hoping to go to St Martin's in Hutton because they were the only school that were running all three subjects that I wanted, and was also within a reasonable distance to get to. Um, but sadly, uh, they turned me down on results day. And uh, obviously, after doing all their sixth form prep work and not really knowing uh, or having a sort of backup plan in place because nowhere else was doing music with the other subjects I wanted, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I mean, other schools were brilliant and they, they were all offering me uh, like variations on what they obviously originally said, but... Um, no school was doing the direct three subjects I wanted uh, apart from St Martin's so I didn't really know what was going to happen it it seemed really unpredictable as far as I was concerned I was going to end up doing something I didn't really want to do um, either a place that was really close but not doing the subjects I wanted or too far away and it was just going to be a hassle Um, and i I spoke to a few people at St Martin's and said, well, what can we do? Is there any way we can work this out? Because their email had said, well, you know, either your subjects don't match up or you haven't got the grades. And I had got both of them. I had got grades that were good enough to get in um, and for all the subjects that I wanted. Um, But it didn't seem like it was going to work out. And I'd sent a few emails to people at St Martin's teachers uh, to say, well, you know what, here's the preparation work that I've done. Um, but sadly I'm not going to be able to come and uh, these emails seemed a bit irrelevant, a bit pointless Um, but I'd I'd sent one to my music teacher it was a random Saturday uh, in the middle of the summer holidays and uh, he he sent me a message back within three minutes saying, well, you know, the head of sixth form is going to be contacting you on Monday I was thinking, hang on, how has this all happened? Um, So um, I got a phone call from... uh, a teacher who is now my drama teacher saying well there's been an error do you want to come and do all the original subjects that uh, you wanted to do and you know we just need to know if you want to take this place it's open till the end of the day and I just turned around there straight away and just said yeah I'd like to come and they were like brilliant see you in September. Wow that's wonderful and so what drove you to writing that email to create that opportunity do you think? There didn't seem like there was a reason for me to do it now looking back on it I feel like there's got to be some influence from God there. There's got to be something that 
was behind that. There was got to be some reason that I had written that email just to say that, and it seemed pointless at the time. But you know what? It it was one of those low moments where I didn't realise God was working, and then looking back on it now, I realised you know what God was working in that time. And you mentioned now that um, you're happily at that school. Equally, I imagine it's been quite a challenge now that we you know, have been in lockdown. And I know you yourself have had to be quarantined for different reasons. Tell yeah. us a little bit about what that was like for you. I think for me, especially because um, obviously creative arts is how I have an outlet. And the other thing, as I'm sure many people in the church will know, I love walking, running, doing all of that. It suddenly is like everything's just gone. And it's mm-hmm. it's a horrible, horrible feeling in it. It left me at a low place just before Christmas, and um, I had two periods of isolation quite close to each other, um, one just before the half-term of October, and then one just before Christmas because of a positive test in my household. And it left me at a really low point because we haven't got Christmas now, nothing's happening, you know, we're, we're going to be stuck here. And it, it was one of those massive low moments again. I was thinking, you know... We're not going to do anything till the 27th, 28th, and then we're going to be back at school before we know it. But, you know, I didn't realise that God was working in that moment as well. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a sort of theme coming up here where, you know, God does work through the low moments. You just might not realise it yet. It's very much reliant on his timing. And, you know, in that particular situation, needless to say, there were loads of positives that came of it. I mean, the isolation got reduced to 10 days because of the new rules came in, which means we got Christmas, which was nice. And obviously, when I'm, when I wasn't in isolation, but I was in these sort of lower times, I was, I've been very, very lucky. I'm very grateful for the fact that I've got, uh, my best friend who lives just up the road from me, so I can always go for a walk or a run with, with her most days, which is nice. It's got me fitter as well, you know, had lockdown not happened, you know, I, I could barely run two miles before March and now I'm running 15 kilometres, you know, it's, it's done, it's done massives for my fitness, so I'm really, really happy in that sense. And, you know, there's loads of little things that you don't realise that God is working and you've got to, you've got to have that faith to keep on going a lot of the time. And and you know what? It is hard. Like, it's not going to be easy. No no one said it was going to be easy, but it is going to, it is going to get better. And God is working, even though you might not, you might not see it at that time. I know you shared with me a thought that you had that helped keep you going through this period. I kept hearing the phrase over, especially in this lockdown, you know, find joy in the small things. Look, look for joy in the small things. And, it was like, well, we're looking for joy in the small things. Well, we've got joy in the big things as well. And, like, it's, it's really important. Like, don't get me wrong, it's really important. And it's been really good to find joy in these small things. Like, you know, each walk that we're going on, like, looking in nature and things like that. There's so many little small things that we've been able to find joy in. And But you have to look for it. And, you know, if God is only a small part of your life, you're going to have to try to find the joy Whereas if God's a big part of your life, you know, the joy is going to come naturally. It's going to be so much easier to find joy. It's so much easier to find joy in big things than it is small things. You know, joy is such an important thing to have at this time. And, you know, it is going to be hard. You're not going to have joy all the time. You know, there have been low points in my faith because of these isolations, because of just how I was feeling before Christmas. I'm, I'm still I'm still coming back from that. I'm still not at where I was. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to find joy in God if he's a bigger part of my life. 
And I wonder, Oliver, what are some of the practices or routines that you embark on to sustain you know, God being a big part of your life as you continue to, we all continue to navigate this time? For me, like, I'm a, I'm a really bad reader. So sitting down and trying to, trying to go through the Bible, I can either just read it straight through and I won't be able to take it in, or I'm having to work, read it two words a minute to try and understand what it's saying. Um, but as I said, like, listening to worship music is perfect because it's musical, so I, I'm enjoying it. And I'm hearing all the key messages of the Bible um, right in front of me without having to sit down and <laughs> go through it. Um, and I think another massive, massive thing for me is having such a tight-knit group of close Christian friends that you can pray with, that you can talk to, meet with, you know, keep updating on your life. And you just end up pushing each other forward, and that's been... Uh, really, really helpful during this time uh, for for all of us and especially for me. Wonderful. And so for those listening today, I wonder what words of encouragement would you love to share with them? It's, it's down to you to to find connections with God. It's not always going to be easy, but there are loads and loads of ways that God's put around us to, to find ways to connect with him. I would make I would love to make sure that everyone's got a really good group of Christian friends around them and that they're praying with them regularly and that they can find their own way of connecting with God and I'm hoping through that that you know God can become a bigger part of their life. Well I really appreciate what seems to me as a real mindset of gratitude a gratitude for God being in your life and actually staying with him and encouraging him to be in your life more than ever through these difficult times. Thank you for your message of hope and inspiration today. Great. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ian Smith, Senior Minister at Billiwicky Baptist Church. Welcome to the sermon part of the service. Uh, Thank you to Bernard for putting together a list of worship songs for us and preparing us to hear from God's Word. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And we pray that it would penetrate us this morning, Lord, that your truth would would really uh, inspire us and change us and equip us. I pray, Lord, that um, these words will be yours and that you'll impart them onto people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing our Faith Over Fear series. Remember what's been said already. It's not faith over fear. We know we have fear, but it's faith over the fear of something. And this morning we're talking about, and and this is in preparation for next week when we launch our special thank offering, our gift offering for the ministry of the church, the whole charitable cause of the church, which we'll go through a little bit in this service. But this is, this is the faith over the fear of giving generously. And what's the fear? Probably the fear when it comes to finance is if if I give too much, then what's left for me? Um, How will I cope? And so we're going to look at the biblical principles. And there's a lot of Bible in this this morning. This is more teaching, really, than preaching. I really wanted to, on such a sensitive subject, let the, the Word of God speak for itself and also some renowned commentators. But if you don't get all the notes down, you can either pause and, and rewind. 
Uh, but also, I did write an article for the Church magazine some time ago now, but if you want, a lot of this is, is similar to that. So if you want that in writing, then contact the church office or Martin Mason and we'll get that to you. So Tom outlined uh, in the last church members meeting that we're going to have a thank offering, a, a gift day, a day, although it's really going to run for two weeks, which will start next Sunday. And this is something what we felt right to do under God, where we acknowledge the changing times that we're in, acknowledge the challenges that have come with that, but also acknowledge an unchanging God. A God that cares both for you, but also the lost, and has a a real care for the mission and ministry of our church here. And everything we do in church has something to do with mission and ministry. Unlike the other special offerings that we have, we have one at Easter, Harvest and Christmas, This one is for the ongoing ministry, the ongoing work, all the charitable causes of the church. And it comes especially after a year of challenges in so many ways. And it's a time to thank God that he's brought us through those challenges for his provision in these unsettling times and for us to show our trust in him and devote some of what we have, which ultimately comes from him, we can devote some of that back to him. And so in church life, you think about it, ministry, mission, whatever ministry you're thinking of, it could be reaching out, it could be discipling, it could be provision of buildings and equipment. We need energy, we need prayer, we need service, we need enthusiasm. Of course we do. But we also need, and we don't like to talk about it too much, finance. And God cares immensely about that. Jesus spoke about it an awful lot. And finance requires giving and and sacrificial giving. We can have a fear, but is this a time to put our trust and faith in God in this way? It's hard to preach on or teach on. Tom set out the why at the church members meeting. I'm not going to go through all that again. We'll allude to it a little bit. But have a look at the church members meeting minutes if you need to. uh, But probably you'll remember. Uh, But for me today is to set out, this date was set aside to set out theology. And as hard as it is, we're not going to shy away from it as it's too important. So we'll look at what God says for his word and then some commentators uh, that have spoken uh, in a a way about this subject. Two types of financial giving. There's the ongoing, what we call the tithe, uh, the 10%. The tithe, kind of a general offering. This is our regular giving uh, to the church for mission and ministry. And I I need to tell you at the moment that that ongoing giving, that weekly or monthly or yearly giving, at the moment does not cover the cost of the ongoing ministry of the church. But in addition to that, we have special offerings, which we launch next week. So I want to encourage you this week in your sacrificial giving, both in the ongoing giving which we really want to be able to run the church in in that way, but also special offerings that fulfil the charitable purposes of the church and and which cover sometimes maybe some exceptional items in business speak, which we've had some of. Now, Paul says, when he talks about gifts in uh, his letter to the Romans, in Romans 12, says, he, he talks about a number of gifts, but he says, if someone's gift is contributing or giving, let them give generously. Um, so for some people, uh, giving is going to be a gift. It might be that you've got enough resource to give more, but it will be a gift. And he's saying, let them give generously. And I, I believe, and you'll see why, that in giving to the church and that general giving you belong to, you're giving to God's work and mission for the furthering of his kingdom. The committed Christian, if we're really committed, will be a generous Christian. 
There are, you can be generous in many ways, but this morning we're looking at the gift of giving generously, being a person of generosity, having faith over the fear of giving. We don't overly talk about financing church services. We don't want people to be looking at this now and think, oh, first sermon I've heard is about they want my money. But Jesus, Paul, and elsewhere in the Bible, they don't shy away from it. And as we look at the world around us, we need to pray, we need to fast, we need to serve, we need to act, but we also need to finance that work. And the mission and ministry of God is born out in the church we belong to. Now, people feel threatened when being asked for money, but let's take what is threatening to be thrilling. Now, most Christians, studies show, don't tithe, even though it's a, it's a, a sound biblical principle. But we don't want to treat it as some sort of church tax. What is a tithe? A tithe is giving 10% of your income um, to the ongoing work and mission and ministry of the church. Many could give more. Uh, but they might use the tithe and say, well, I've done my bit, and they treat it like a church tax. I've paid what I must, and others are aiming towards it. Um, The more you have, in a way, it's less sacrificial, even though you might be giving more money. If you're earning £100,000 a year and give 10% of your income, you're left with 90, just assuming no tax for the time being. If someone earns £10,000 a year and gives 10% of their income, they've only given 1000 to your 10, but they're only left with nine. So you've got to see what's right in your heart, but it's a good Christian principle and one that we've uh, lived by. We don't want to use it as a church tax. Well, I must get there, or I've done it, so I'm okay, Jack, and I'll just carry on as I am. R.T. Kendall was minister of Westminster Chapel, and he's teaching, he's done a lot of teaching on this subject, and it was endorsed by Christian leaders such as George Carey, Billy Graham, and John Stott. And he said this, or he wrote this, It is very likely that a big hitch in your Christian growth has to do with fidelity and stewardship of money. Sooner or later, every Christian comes face to face with the use of their money. And what happens then? Either they will squarely and honestly face their Christian responsibility or they'll draw back. If they draw back from this responsibility, it's not likely that anything they do will work or compensate for their refusal to come to grips with the stewardship of money. Who among us at one time or another has not sought to use one form of obedience to offset a deficiency in another area? I don't tithe, but I go to church three times a week. I don't tithe, but I bring people to church. I don't tithe, but I read and pray more than most people do. He asked the question, does it work? And he answered it. He said, no, it does not. We who do more in our Christian life when we're aware of some form of disobedience in our Christian lives, we're not trying to convince God, we're trying to convince ourselves We really project upon God what we hope he is thinking, that that part doesn't really matter. You're doing so much else, but it does. And it's nothing but playing games with God and ourselves. He finishes by saying, I'm sure that becoming a tither provides a definite back breakthrough for every Christian. It unlocks the door of the mind and the heart and the will. It releases, it emancipates, it frees. Becoming a tither is a milestone in a Christian's life. So someone like R.T. Kendall really expounding with, with, with huge backing there from some great Christian leaders the importance of treating finance seriously within our Christian walk. So what's the biblical concept? Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 says this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven 
and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Uh, you know, the, the verse uh, just before that, which fills me with a sense of God's holiness, saying, if I'm not doing it, it's as if I'm robbing God of what he's given me. I'm robbing God. So it's really, really important. But the question might be, well, is the storehouse, that's Old Testament, is the storehouse now the church, the New Testament church? R.T. Kendall says yes. And most biblical scholars wouldn't differ on the point that the New Testament ministry, the one we're in now, succeeded that of the Levitical priesthood. That was the priesthood in the Old Testament where the Levites were set aside to minister in the temple. And Paul, talking about that, claimed that they who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9.14. And he was actually commentating on the way that that old Levitical priesthood was sustained. The tithe went to the ministry. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 9, in talking about ministry, and he's quoting again from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 25 verse 4, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. He also uses Deuteronomy 25 verse 4 in support of his claim that he says in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy verse 5, 17 to 18. Remember, you can get all this. Um, you don't have to make a note of all this. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading the grain and the worker deserves his wages. And in 1 Corinthians 9, 13 to 14, it's followed by an appeal where he reflects back to Leviticus 6, verse 6. See what Paul's doing here. He's seeing, he's seeing the ethos of the Old Testament and bringing it into the New Testament church. And he says, don't you know that those who work in a temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar sharing what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. R.T. Kendall sums it up well. He says, by supporting your individual church then, You support the ministry of your church, but also provide funds for your church to send the gospel both locally and also around the world. And that's something we do here at Billericay Baptist Church and something that we have a godly pride for. We have a big mission budget, we have a big uh, ministry budget and that, that, that work is spread throughout the world and locally as well. Cole Bates uh, summed it up this way. He said, God has always had a place for the holy money to be put. In the Old Testament, that place was the tabernacle and the temple. In the New Testament, that place was and is the church. He said, I've searched the scriptures where the tithe was designated, i.e. I'm going to give 10% of my income, but 5% of that goes to the church and or temple or tabernacle, and and the other five are something of my choice. So he said, I've searched the scriptures where the tithe was designated elsewhere, um, and you can't find it. Different other offerings, yes, but not the tithe. So in other words, the tithe, that ongoing giving, is to be entrusted to the church where you belong, that the church may make the proper decisions as to its use. Jesus, I've got some verses here, uh, and again, you can, you can get this in the article that I wrote, and uh, again, ask the church office or Martin Mason, we'll get you a copy of that. But loads of verses I could have picked out. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 2, which we'll look at in a minute, he said, when you give, not if, there is an assumption that you will give. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 3, Paul said, for I testify they gave as much as they were able. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, but just as you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Excel, it's above and beyond. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 7. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what's been decided in their heart. So we've gone away from the law and we're coming now the spirit of God that changes our heart. So we don't give, he says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's almost like whistle while you write. And certainly in my experience, when when we've given, whether it's general giving or an offering, God honours it. And I'm not talking prosperity gospel, because that's the wrong motive, to give, to get something back. But God does honour it. Um, And uh, Jesus, finally, uh, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Saying, look, you can get all the things and the stuff, and I like things and stuff. Don't make it all about that. This is, this is storing up treasures in heaven as we further the gospel through the given of finance. Let me read uh, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Jesus is saying that giving, like many other things, part of our secret life with God. Really, I don't know what any of you give. I don't want to know what you give. Obviously, the treasure would have to know, but we do not talk about that at all, and nor should we. It's part of your secret life with God. God sees it all, right? So then Jesus says when and not if you give in Matthew 6, verse 2. He's talking about part of your secret life with God. We've got direction. And he also says in this passage how not to give, doesn't he, in verse 2. Now, a devout Jew in those days would have given in two ways. They would have tithed, which we've spoken about. That's about a, that's a tenth of, of their income, and that was compulsory. And then they had what they called alms, or voluntary offerings, and that would be more than the tithe. It would be over and above the tithe. And realistically, in those days, a devout Jew would have given away somewhere uh, around one-sixth of their income. And to the Jews, it was a sacred religious duty, not something to be hidden away in the service, not something we don't want to ask people for. It was actually a sacred religious duty. But as important as the rabbi said giving was, they were against the ostentatious giving. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. And Jesus here is not denouncing the teaching of the rabbis, but the way the Pharisees at the time fell short of the teaching and were hypocritical, he says in verse 2. They were blowing their own trumpets, literally. And the Greek word for hypocrite was used for an actor in a play. It means someone, uh, someone pretending to be someone they're not. It's like, look at me, look what I've given. And you might think that might not happen now, but I've heard it in the past. I'm a big giver in the church. I should have a bigger say. Well, I have no time for that whatsoever. It's between you and God. And verse 2 shows Jesus that, uh, Jesus shows that the Pharisees, they were parading themselves, announcing with trumpets, making sure they were seen in what was supposed to be their secret life with God. They were doing it for man's approval and not God's. We're not to do that. God knows, verse 4 tells us, what's done in secret and God sees. 
And if we get, seek to give, uh, if we look to get the praise from others, then you'll get that praise from others, verse 2, but that's the only reward you'll get. Rather, Jesus tells us a way to give in verses 3 and 4. He says that when we give, we shouldn't not only tell others, but also not to tell ourselves. That seems a bit weird. He says, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing in verse 3. Of course, it must be figurative. But I think what it means, and what commentators say, is it means to avoid self-righteousness. Aren't I good because of the amount I give? A self-congratulation and pride. And Instead, elsewhere, we're told in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. It's a heart thing. It's given out of thanksgiving as a response to what God's already done for me. And when it's done in that way, Jesus says, verse 4 of this passage, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Well, what what are the rewards? Let's look at uh, what Paul says uh, elsewhere in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. He's talking about generosity. These are words of, of Paul. Uh, He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You see where the rewards are coming through. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. This is a thank offering. We're thanking God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others, so it's a witness, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace as God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So the rewards of giving, the reason we give is a heartfelt, willing giving to God for the work of the kingdom, for the mission and ministry. But there are rewards, and it's not we don't give because we want the rewards, it just says there are rewards. So, first of all, in that passage of Paul, first thing, it's a good investment. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Again, not a prosperity gospel of give me a pound, I'll give you a hundred back. It's the principle of the harvest, as you give in as planting a seed, and God can take that seed and he can multiply it, investing for the future of the kingdom. It's a good investment. Secondly, Paul says we'll know God's love. For God loves, verse 7 of that passage, a cheerful giver. God is pleased when we're saying, yeah, I'd love to give to this cause. And Paul says, therefore, he doesn't want you to give reluctantly or under compulsion. God wants us to be a cheerful giver. And while receiving presents, I love receiving presents, but I love giving presents as well and seeing the response. Imagine you know, Jesus in the, in the room, and I say, look, can you use this for your purposes? I'd love to see his response. Third thing is giving changes your character. 
in that passage, uh, verse 10, he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And how does he do that? Well, by giving. It helps us combat materialism, which is abundant in the world. You see the fourth thing, the privilege of seeing others thanking God for the gift. Um, He said that you being generous on every occasion through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. People see Christians as generous people because they are generous people. And people see that and they see we do good things. Most of them don't know. They think, I think even in the Baptist church, they think we have some sort of central funding. And we don't. It's all supplied by the members through their heart of thanksgiving to God. And it goes on to say in verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God. People see the work that churches do. They understand that it takes finance. They understand the self-sacrifice of the church's members and say, wow. And this is why when we, when we give a gift, we acknowledge that really the gift comes from God. There's been times in my life I've done something, I say, look, please don't thank me, I felt led by God to do this. And if I'm looking at the Bible, I don't even really want their thanks because then I've got my treasure in heaven. And it's lovely that we we share in the reward of knowing that what we're supplying uh, is the needs of God's people, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 12. We're part of the community of the church as we share in its needs, the ministry, the service, the building. The buildings, or two buildings we have, serve the church, not the other way round. And the fact is, as we move forward, there are challenges and we're facing headwinds. There's much work to be done. There's much work to be done, uh, but it takes finance. Everything that you're already giving into the life of the church or the storehouse is used one way or another in mission and ministry. We're actually doing a lot, even in lockdown. But even as we're coming out now, it looks there's green shoots of hope. Uh, Tom and I this week have sat down. We've been going through what the government have said, what the Baptist Union have said, what the Evangelical Alliance have said. We're just beginning to start plotting a roadmap. It's going to be some time yet, but it's coming. It's coming. But it all needs finance and all of it goes to the mission and ministry of the church. What's the the mission and ministry and purposes of the church? All to be measured against our strap line on that window through there to know Jesus and make him known. And then look at the Great Commission if you want a mission statement. But look at the things that go on. We, we're, we're gonna, we want alpha courses. We have baby clubs at both Sunnymead and Perry Street. Uh, little Lights or CTB, Churches Together in Billericay. Um, global cafe, holiday Bible clubs, holiday at home, sunny days that's been run down from the sunny mead building, providing real care and love and support and company to some older folk. We have Tuesday club, we have catering, we have flowers. We bought a new minibus to enable people to get to many of these things. That's a big expense a few years back. Licenses for worship, uh, prison ministry, schools ministry, Billericay, street pastors, BU Home Mission, where churches that that are not in a position like we are, who can't afford their own minister, some of our money goes towards that. Producing a magazine, keeping us up to speed on equipment, um, which we're looking at at the moment, especially as we're moving into more online stuff as we we continue to do that, even when we come back. Uh, A big mission partner budget, uh, as far as we're aware, as a percentage, the biggest in any church we know, um, that we're aware of. Uh, kingdom kids, light parties, the list goes on and on. 
Uh, we're investing um, even now in our Sunnymead building a significant amount so that it can be fit for purpose and mission and ministry and expanding uh, the capacity to have a larger congregation in there. We've got a ministry team. We've had full staff now for a few years, but the last time we had it before then was 2007. And, and so the, a reserve got built up, but we've been eating into that reserve because now we have a full team. We invested in a children's work and we'd love her to be doing more. We've always invested in youth and children. We know that other churches in the town have decreased in that and they're suffering. We have admin, which used to be a voluntary role, but it's such a big role now. We have, a, we have this additional building in Sunny Me, which I've mentioned, uh, where we're doing this, this lot of work. It's being transformed as we speak. We're going to have additional costs of our online offering, our digital offering, our social media, the things that we can do that we, we seek to continue even after this um, pandemic. Ministers being available, being visible, being able to visit all these groups to prepare and preach God's word, to lead, all those things, all those things um, are to do with mission, mission and ministry of the church. The mission and ministry of the church is not what's left it's a hundred percent of everything we do and as i said we have for some time carried a large reserve but by clearing our pension liability which is no small amount of money and investing in kingdom business whether it's buildings or transport or ministry teams or or mission partners whatever it is for the first time in a long time we're being challenged in our giving so that we can strive first for the kingdom and further the mission and ministry from this church. We have mission overseas, of course we do. It's also on our doorstep in all the things that have been mentioned. And the fact is, mission and ministry cost, and reserves are not going to last forever. And so without these increases in the the general offerings, or the tithes, um, we'll soon, very soon, we'll be having to scale back and look where we can make the books balance. We don't want to do that. We'll accept it as God's will if that's something we have to do. But also we're having an offering now for, for the general ministry of the church as well. So what? Giving is important. It's not to be shied away from. There's loads of scripture I could throw at you, but it's in that article. It runs all through the Old Testament. And then we have the Holy Spirit being poured out. and It's in the New Testament, the New Covenant. Uh, maybe the tithe is not as prescriptive now. Maybe it's a guide. Although Jesus did talk about tithing, he actually assumed it. But you think there's loads of characters. Jacob the swindler gave a tenth. Zacchaeus the despised tax collector gave a half. The widow, who had nothing, she gave all she had to live on. And the devout Jew at least a sixth of his income. If we take the teaching of Jesus into our heart, you'll realise that percentages is to miss the whole point. It's really about the heart. And Paul says that, doesn't he? In 2 Corinthians 9, 9 verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. But let's make it sacrificial and generous. Our giving is not for the praise of people or self-congratulation. It's for our God. That's why it's an act of worship. And our giving, our tithing is for the storehouses, for the church. And it might be over the years you've given to other things as part of your tithe. But that's not the biblical precedent. Next week we start a special gift day, an opportunity and an offering back to God. This is a special offering over and above the tithe. Now, we recognise some of you are facing hard times. You may have lost jobs or had reduced hours. We wouldn't want to put any further financial hardship on you. But then for others, we've not been allowed to go out and spend money or have holidays. Maybe there's a time where we can be sacrificial and you've not spent nowhere near as, near as much as you normally would have. We really want to invest 
in our ministry with this special offering. There are headwinds ahead. I believe we can respond. I have the faith for it. And I believe we can get the faith over the fear of giving. It takes leadership commitment to be good stewards of the finance, looking at all the areas. But let's take again um, to what to many is threatening and make it thrilling. Let's start to imagine what can be done. As I say, this is a huge amount to take in. I kind of feel I've rushed through it a bit, but it's really to give you the theology of giving. We've got the reasons, which Tom mentioned. This is the theology. It's part of our worship. It's part of our Christian journey. But it's all written down, uh, most of this, in an article I wrote for the Church Mag, as I said. Get a copy or rewind and make the notes yourself. Go and look up what I've said in Scripture. I really want the Word of God to speak into this. Uh, Or get a copy of of my writing from the church office or Martin Mason. But think about your general giving. We don't want to be cutting back, but we may have to. Be ready for the special offering starting next week. Tom will share the church bank details then. It will come up on the screen uh, next week and also other ways to contribute to God's work here. But it will run very much like our normal offerings. I want to pray for us and thank you for listening. It is a hard subject, but finance is part of our Christian discipleship uh, you're not going to get sermons on finance every every week but occasionally you're going to get them because they're in the word of God and we're not going to apologize for them and I don't think you expect me to so bless you let me pray for you we thank you Lord for your word and this is a bit of a tough subject it does pull at the heartstrings and the bank accounts sometimes it seems a bit unspiritual but your word clearly shows it as part of our Christian discipleship And we do pray over the finance of this church. We do pray that as we bring our offerings, our tithes to the storehouse, Lord, that you would multiply it. We are involved in so many things. And we pray, Lord, we don't have to scale back. We thank you for your provision to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us faith over the fear of generous giving. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again. Just to remind you, it's all in the bulletin and on the email, but the Johnson family, which we were grateful for at 11.30 this morning, hosting a coffee and chat. All the details of that Zoom meeting are on the bulletin and in the email that I sent yesterday. God bless you all. Much love.